0: Hi James Ben how are you I'm good how are you I'm good it's uh it's crazy that we are in uh, geographical proximity oh much closer geographical proximity than we usually are I think you're about 20 miles away but yet we're still doing this recording remotely i'm not I'm not sure I could uh I'm not sure I could concentrate doing this and uh, doing it in the same room it's like I've gotten so used to having you remote <laughs>
1: There's lots of directions I could take. I could take that. Why? Why might I distract you, James? I,
0: I, the the the, the fiery wrath just getting it in the headphones is one thing. The the baleful eye at the same time might That's be too true. much. I I do have quite the stink eye. <laughs> uh,
1: the question is the question is will the stink eye be brought out today? Because uh, uh, we both wrote this week. Uh, I did, yours kind of came out of nowhere. Suddenly, James is is analyzing the finer
0: details of Microsoft buying LinkedIn. It was a little bit out of the blue, but it's something that I've been thinking about for a a period of time, but from a very different perspective. The importance of data and how it can enable uh, companies to compete orthogonally with those that may not Typically, be in their space is something that I've been I've done a lot of thinking about. We've talked about a bunch, and one of the ways in which it came up was thinking about it from the perspective of CRMs. And when you, uh, I mean, there are many different angles to Microsoft, LinkedIn, and I just went in on one in particular. But I guess the the basic take of the article was that the two of them combined Microsoft's um, CRM product plus all of LinkedIn's data actually um, puts, I think, or goes some way to putting the CRM market back into play, which is, is something that historically has been cornered by Salesforce. And the reason is the way these CRM systems work, it's so much of it is being driven by an organization's need to understand what a sales force is doing, as opposed to uh, what salespeople themselves actually need in order to sell. And the thing that's the potential that I think is so cool for for Microsoft plus LinkedIn in just the CRM, not talking about all the other possibilities they have, is that you can basically take that. burden off of your sales force. You don't have to ask them to keep updating things when someone moves roles or changes organizations. It's done for you because when we change organizations or we change roles, we update our title on LinkedIn. But not only do you get much better um, data hygiene, you also get, um, you also have a, a system which would actually, with all that data there, would actually help salespeople sell better. So instead of it just being about uh, being something that's a burden for them to keep updating to enable organizational learning and organizational memory in case they leave. So people know what that salesperson was doing with a particular prospect or customer. This actually, the two of those things combined could actually create a really compelling product in the CRM space.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, Microsoft Dynamics is actually, which is their CRM product, is in backing up in case anyone hasn't has been under a rock and hasn't heard Microsoft came out of nowhere on Monday uh, to announce that they had had bought LinkedIn for twenty six point two billion dollars and and yeah I think this is an interesting spot to start it's kind of just the very uh, concrete like where like. For lack of a better word, synergy between mm. these the, the, these two companies, and yeah, Dynamics is 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 trucking along at about. Uh, I'm looking at this graph; it's, it's not exact, but it looks like seven or eight percent market share. Mm. Salesforce is is about twenty, and they're the biggest. Like the, the, above them is like fifty percent is like other SAP and Oracle are, mm. are 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 in are in the middle, and. Yeah, I mean, just it, it's very straightforward. Like, wouldn't it be nice to have a CRM system where the subjects of the CRM system update the CRM system for you? Like, yeah, it, right? it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of obvious.
0: Yeah, I, and the, the thing about it was, like, CRM and data, that's the obvious, that was the obvious one, or the one that, that most aligned with my previous thinking around this topic, and that's just one and I, I know, and I'm probably one of the folks that's been a little bit skeptical about Microsoft's acquisitions in the past. But I think that the approach of keeping these things distinct and then having a team to work out where there may be synergies like this, I think I think this one makes a lot of sense. And it, I, I don't know, it's just another sign or signal to me of just how uh, progressive Nadella's thinking is on a lot of these different topics.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting place to go to. Is that, you're right. The, a lot of the reaction to the deal has been, "Oh my, oh my gosh!" You know, Microsoft sucks at acquisitions, all these sorts of things, which I think is really uh, un- unfair. The, the fact of the matter is, one most companies suck at acquisitions. Mm. To the previous acquisitions, they're pointing to like like a Quantive or or especially Nokia mm-hmm. were made last time I checked with a different CEO in a completely different company, right. and we we've talked about and I've certainly written extensively about how Microsoft has changed its direction in a very in a very positive way over the last few years you know kind of putting windows off to the side kind of letting them (laughs) letting them kind of hang themselves when it comes to windows phone and 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 having to realize that it's a failure of something that that satya nadella knew before he became ceo like he opposed the the nokia deal and you know so i think it's unfair to Yes, you could. Of course, it's generally fair to observe that Microsoft has had bad, bad, bad mm. uh, acquisitions. But to start that by default, this is bad because they bought Nokia and it failed. Is it, naive. It, it, it's 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 so simplistic as yeah. to as, as to be as to be worthless because the Nokia acquisition didn't fail because Microsoft was bad at acquisitions. It failed because it was a stupid acquisition to prop up <laughs> a failed product.
0: I I totally agree. It's a a really good point. And it's a useful – these things are useful heuristics. Um, These things are useful heuristics. They've made bad acquisitions in the past, and I think that warrants additional skepticism when you look at uh, acquisitions they might make going forward. But your points around new CEO, completely new direction – um, and, and just the way they're approaching this, like just because they've made mistakes in the past or, or, or poor acquisitions in the past does not automatically mean that every acquisition that they're going to make in the future is, a, is going to be a poor one. And when you start digging into the strategic rationales for this company and the data that LinkedIn sits on top of, I just, I'm, uh, I'm, it's, a, I mean, $26 billion is a lot of money, but I'm bullish on this.
1: Yeah, well, that's the other thing that 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 about this stuff. I mean, twenty six billion dollars is less than ten percent of Microsoft's market cap. It's like seven mm. percent or something like that, and so the, a lot of money is is always relative. And Microsoft has a lot of money sitting around, mostly overseas, which is why they're they're taking on debt to do this. But it's debt secured by cash that is sitting in U.S. banks, uh, but is technically held by you know a foreign subsidiary, and. And in Microsoft, and I've said this for a long time, Microsoft has a lot more money than they do time. And they have, you know, they're, they're in part because of the previous leadership and the Nokia debacle and all that sort of stuff are late in their pivot to 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 the sort of future organization they need to be. One that's centered around uh, the cloud, uh, the cloud generally, but Azure on one side and Office 365 on the other. And well, one thing that I, I, I like about this acquisition is, it's it's really the final nail in the coffin when it comes to if anyone at Microsoft wasn't on board the train that in, in the direction that Microsoft is now going, it should be very, very clear where the train is headed, right? Like in that respect, the contrast to the Nokia acquisition couldn't be more stark. That was the last gasp of a world view that put windows at the center of everything Mm. and it was an utter and complete failure and the windows team was who were the kind of diehards on this were forced to accept that and put out a letter saying that it's over it's done like sorry we're cutting it off and now like a month later this comes out and it's the exact opposite direction and it makes super duper clear that office 65 has nothing to do with windows it has everything to do with being cross-platform, you know, being the the, the enterprise cloud glue, which I'll get into, into a moment. And mm. there's like, I don't know, 26, 26 billion of symbolism uh, isn't the worst way to blow so 26 billion dollars.
0: I, I I agree. I mean, I I agree. They've they've spent. I mean, I'd rather I'd rather see them pay three times more than Nokia for something that's actually going to support the future direction of their business than spend nine billion dollars on something that represents the past. And that's the thing. These things need to be analyzed in um in isolation. So yeah, like I I, I feel like putting CRM in play and. Uh, uh, is is um, uh, on its own is like a really big deal. but then you start to consider all the other places where this could be super powerful for the two combined entities, knowing that you can uh, I mean you couldn't build a product like that. you couldn't build a CRM product. Uh, with the assumption that the data would be updated, unless you had a, uh, I would say almost at the point that they're at, and uh, like these two companies have a common owner, and you can rely on them to work together because that's such a big assumption to make inside the development of a product. Right? right. There's 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 so much to like. Just just at a very basic level, there's so much to like about
1: this mm. and, and because like the the failure state, like the or the default state, if nothing. I'm going to talk about a lot of ambitious things about this. Mm. But even if the only basics come through, it Microsoft has a extremely highly differentiated CRM offering mm. that that cannot be done otherwise. Because the the other the thing with what, what makes LinkedIn so powerful is it's is all the data is generated by the users. They put mm-hmm. it in the system themselves. And, and yes, I know people dislike it and, and have problems with it, all this sort of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, just about everyone has a LinkedIn profile that they conveniently update only when they're changing jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but there's also much more privacy implications that come with that. Where and so it's actually there are significant challenges in syncing LinkedIn with with other uh, services and and get, making sure you jump through all the hoops. And that's why like even the integrations that that do exist, I think between like Salesforce and LinkedIn are really mm. hairy and hard to use and will probably be ended now. But uh, but now when you're owned by the same company, like suddenly all those you know th- and. All, all those restrictions kind of go away. and so the the it's interesting because when you bring in the user generated data part, the usually you would want to start first do like a according to like business theory you want to first do like a partnership before an acquisition mm-hmm. right but there is so much friction that's involved in user mm-hmm. generated data and the, the the limitations that go around that from a privacy perspective that you there really is a big benefit to owning it as opposed to to just trying to partner with it so like at, at a at a minimum at a minimum they're just going to have a really compelling crm offering going forward that's going to drive some level of incremental revenue that that will that would not have been realized if they were standalone companies and by definition you know adds to the value you know, the, the value of this deal and that's not even getting into the opportunities yeah. to sell in LinkedIn's own products like sales navigator which is like a, a relatively new product with a very low run rate but that is a natural add-on to a CRM sale and you sell that in the dynamics user base which is which is even though it's the fourth biggest player is
0: much bigger than LinkedIn and like you're realizing, like half the half the twenty six billion right there, and and not only that, it, in the same way that the LinkedIn data, um, uh, the LinkedIn data makes the uh, the Microsoft CRM more valuable, the data that's it, it cuts the other way too. Like you think about the value of Sales Navigator, if you could include in that all the previous prospecting efforts that have taken place between your company and the target. Um, I mean, right now you have to go dig for that inside a CRM and it may be there or it may not. Um, But if you can include that and you can see what works and what doesn't, as a result of past history, it makes the sales navigator more valuable too. So it's it's the data inside the company that could then, it like, it's bringing these two things together in a way that's more than the sum of their individual parts. Yeah. No. Totally. So that, I mean, so I think
1: there's a lot. I like this deal because like the downside like the the worst case scenario from my perspective is is pretty great, right mm. At worst, they overpaid to have a highly differentiated CRm offering mm-hmm. and and for a company that has plenty of money to spare like so, sounds, sounds sounds good to me right the, the The bigger offering though and something that I've been thinking about for a while and I've written about I've written about it at times is is when it just comes to identity generally mm-hmm. So Identity has been at the foundation of Microsoft's ownership of the enterprise for for a very long time uh, through their Active Directory product, which uh, tellingly has always been free. Like one of the few Microsoft products that has always been free. It comes with Windows Server. Uh, and, and you would and say you a company wanted a mail service, they'd sign up for Exchange, which means they have to buy or they'd buy Exchange, but they have to buy Windows Server and they get Active Directory, which tied into Exchange to manage all the identities there. And then, so you want to add on other products, and oh, you have your Active Directory store, and and basically every just about every enterprise in the world, their their employee records and stores and all that sort of stuff is managed by Active Directory, mm. and it's an incredible piece of the Microsoft kind of lever lock in where it's like Microsoft just systematically we talked about this last year over the course of 25 years just increase their spend the the share of spend of their customers like once Mm. you get one Microsoft product it just becomes Mm -hmm. easier and natural to get another Microsoft product and then to upgrade and so on and so forth And, and Active Directory is the piece that links all it all together the the and so now, um, as we we touched on, Microsoft's moving to the cloud and moving to the cloud in general is is a secular threat to to this model because it takes away the biggest reason to stick with Microsoft, which is it's just easier. And it all in you update together and and you already have, you know, extension on site to update and all that sort of stuff. And whereas if you're using all these little discrete cloud services, like you know, box here, Dropbox there, uh work work for a uh, workplace here. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, there's a whole host of them, like all over the place. Like the the maintenance a big advantage, the maintenance is done by the company itself because it's like you're using it on the cloud and they're doing, they're taking care of the back end. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft's response so far with identity has been uh, uh Azure Active Directory which comes with Office 365 again it's a free part of it and and it's a limited service in some ways it's not, um and there's there there's competition in the space but it's it's kind of reproducing the Active Directory idea in, into the cloud and if you think about it if there if there is a paradigm shift in how business software is bought and and put in place it kind of follows there's probably going to be a paradigm shift in all the pieces that go around it right mm. like we talked about like banner ads on the web were just copying like newspaper mm-hmm. ads right but obviously that wasn't that that's never the, the first version is always like a bad copy right. and then you figure out what's actually what's actually native like native ads like in like in your Facebook stream right that's clearly the future like in feed Ads are so much more compelling, and it's something that only makes sense in the context of of a digital experience. You're not going to have in-feed ads in a newspaper, right? It, you, but it took time to, to figure that out. And what what is so compelling about this deal is the potential. And I, I'm not, I'm not sure how it will work out. And so it's it's I'm not saying this will happen, but you can kind of see an opportunity to do what we're talking about with CRM, but kind of writ large with identity, mm. where Microsoft becomes the home of your professional identity. And what's so powerful about the LinkedIn model, where it's user-driven, is it's an identity that persists across jobs, across your different companies because right now the way identity works is that you have an identity at at the company you're at in their active directory and then you leave and you go to another company mm. and y- your identity has to be recreated and it's like you're a completely new person but you're not a new person and think about the CRM angle how you want to connect with someone like you you, you don't want to connect with like a, a job title you're seeking out a specific person or you mm-hmm. want to find out the expert on something in the industry or whatever like just the, the the relationships that connect businesses are between individuals not between active directory entries but the the way it works is identities recreated at every step and you kind of have to rebuild the links that were there before and LinkedIn as a center of identity tied in with Microsoft and their office products and Outlook and 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 all the 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 areas that they are still dominant in creates at least the idea. Again, I'm not sure how it's gonna work out, but the idea of identity being independent from companies and being owned by Microsoft. Like, and that's that th- there's so much potential
0: if that works out. I think that's a, uh, It's also a super powerful way of thinking about this, um, and I, I think it, um, it. It just the 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 transition from on premise to cloud, and the the way in which um, the way in which jobs are uh, the velocity of the job market has dramatically changed over that same period. People don't stay at companies for ten years; they do it for that. They're at much shorter time periods. Um, a lot of the users of these cloud software uh, products are companies that are growing super fast and managing it as is a, is a big hassle. Now, um, right now, I think one of the companies that stepped into this space uh, quite effectively is Okta. What they're doing is basically it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mixture of um, one password. Like the idea is kind of like one password up in the cloud where you have one login and then that then directs you to all the different cloud services. But I could easily see a competing product um, and, particularly given Microsoft has a number of, um, of of great enterprise application, cloud enterprise applications, they could build in some pretty cool integration between that and a LinkedIn identity as a starting point to prove how it works because fundamentally, Okta is modular, right? its yep. is, its is, It doesn't own any of the other services beyond the identity and the sign-in. And one of the advantages we've always talked about of being integrated is, you can work out what that interface between the two parts are because there's that degree of trust. And if something's not working out, people are much more flexible. Whereas if you are modularized, there's a wall, there are contractual agreements or whatever, and it must get passed in this way. I think that there's a lot of scope to do exactly what you're saying. And you change jobs, you type that in on LinkedIn. I could see part of it being a a kind of like the public identity that we maintain right now. But part of it is also um, an enterprise administrator has a uh, an equivalent and they see a new employee joining um, uh, that company. They see the role, the title, the level, and they automatically, as that happens, they approve it, and then they assign a whole bunch of applications just at the same point at which you have uh you've you've transferred your title and your company. I,
1: I like. Well, you even go the other direction. I mean, you, you, you actually we may not need to even update our LinkedIn's anymore because the HR uh, department at our new company will. It will go pass through we'll get an email mm. saying do you approve this new job title being yeah. posted on your profile and and not just that but Okta so Okta in case people aren't familiar is basically single sign-on mm. uh, they're expanding their offerings into 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 various things but that's the core of their offering a single mm-hmm. sign-on and so what it does is if you work for because the problem is you have all these disparate cloud services and I've written about this a bit like tying being the opportunity to tie them all together and I think of that just from a workflow perspective but from a sign-on perspective that's what Okta is focusing mm-hmm. on and so the idea is uh the administrator of your new company can you, – you basically – all you had need is an Okta sign-in, and that will sign you into all the various cloud services that your company uses. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is that still – Okta is still focused on the per-company identity, Mm-hmm. they just make it easier for that one identity to go to the 10 or 12 cloud services that your company right. uses right but the linkedin the idea of it being persistent imagine if the only password you ever needed for the rest of your professional career was your linkedin password mm. and and because you 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 just go to the new job and it's changed on the back end you're rewired into everything and you just sign with linkedin and boom you're 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 authenticated in all the various cloud products your company uses yeah and and yeah, yeah i mean it, this is it's it's an acquisition like there's the and there's the cultural point which I mentioned there's the CRM point and then there's this 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 potential point it 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 really is it, there hasn't been an acquisition in a long time that to my mind is just a complete home run and and this is one of them just because the fail the fa- the worst case scenario is strong. There's a middle case scenario that, that's even better, and then there's a, this high potential, and all three of them are dependent on being owned, not being a partnership. And like you had to buy to get into it. And I mean, it, again, from a Microsoft perspective, I think like there's very little to complain about here.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it, there's also like a, 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 a small tactical note to this as well, which is LinkedIn's, latest quarterly results saw the stock get absolutely pummeled. Now, I don't know. It sounds like from from what brief amounts I read that there'd been uh, Nadella and uh, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, had been talking for some time. Yeah, well, I, I actually, so Microsoft tried to buy LinkedIn before LinkedIn IPO'd
1: and uh, were rebuffed. So Microsoft's had their eye on this for for a while. And I think that, I mean, that was even back in the Balmer days because there, there is such a natural, synergy yeah i'm uh, um, here but, but what happened was what happened was yeah linkedin's stock was as high as 250 dollars a share yeah. last year which puts in context microsoft paying 190 a share yes it's a big increase over now but relative to even a year ago like they're getting a bargain mm. and the reason it went down was uh linkedin i mean linkedin is so valuable because of the data they have they have mm-hmm. they have all they have your entire professional like everything about you and your skills and, and all in and all in your connections like it's it's unbelievably valuable data that i would argue has been under leveraged has mm-hmm. not been used effectively and i and that's why i think there's so much upside in that data that i think microsoft is uniquely positioned to realize mm-hmm. like the, at the very like if you want a one sentence summary why why this is so compelling that's it right there but the kind of assumption was that linkedin would realize that value through advertising and that they would be somebody yeah. compatible with Facebook and what happened was it just hasn't worked out they closed down their they had like a Facebook ad network sort of thing where you could broadcast on other sites they closed that down it wasn't it wasn't scaling well it was what it wasn't working their display advertising business has been falling through the floor and then they they have a decent native advertising business like LinkedIn content is surprisingly well read and it actually drives a lot of traffic I can as someone whose posts are often you know shared on there. But um, but it just wasn't. It, it it was becoming very. It became very obvious in January that LinkedIn was not gonna have was not gonna have anything approaching Facebook levels of like advertising yeah. upside. And they at that time they and and Yelp and Twitter and a whole bunch of like like Wall Street suddenly collectively realized that Facebook and Google are doing all the advertising and that's it. And mm-hmm. every other company that had an advertising part. and Yeah. They all got smashed. LinkedIn was the worst, but in, in part they were the worst because they had the highest theoretical upside because the data is so good. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so I think Microsoft got a deal, frankly, like they are uniquely positioned to realize the value of that data. They got the stock at like half the price. And this is almost certainly like LinkedIn sold because they were stuck with having paid out a massive amount in stock options uh, like a, a huge percentage of their employee salaries and suddenly their way th- their stocks down by half like they were I- i'm sure having an absolute talent crunch or on the verge of it and microsoft has swept in and has kind of made those problems go away and and they 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 got themselves stuck in a box which is an interesting topic in its own and and so for, from microsoft perspective i think it could have gone better from the linkedin perspective they they got themselves out of their their box. The stock wasn't going to go back up because that advertising part was gone. You know mm-hmm. they paid all these employees on this uh, on this presumption of a certain price, and and yeah, I think um you know I I mean I, Microsoft I think yeah I'll, I'll I'll go for Microsoft. LinkedIn at least managed to preserve the promise of independence. We'll see you know those things. We'll see, we'll see how they go. But given where they were, it was probably as good an outcome as they could hope for, and and a great one for Microsoft.
0: Yeah, I I would concur a couple of things so that are interesting in that one is just the 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 um, difference in advertising's effectiveness their native ads are great but this notion that they could they could pull off an advertising business akin to Facebook and it seems to have failed it, it it's interesting it it's interesting the way in that happened Um the the point around the tactics like the the uh, around the timing of the deal it literally dropped from like what was it it was like one hundred and ninety or two hundred dollars or something to a hundred dollars in a day when that news came out it it yep. just dropped and so th- for them to come along and get it at this price I think is pretty cool I think the other thing that might have helped them though was I think that. Um, I think that Salesforce was probably sniffing around this as well, and it never hurts to have uh, uh, multiple potential uh, bidders in terms of making sure you get a reasonable price. And yep. I think there are other organizations that have um, valuable data. For example, I think Twitter is one of them. But when you're in the uh, situation where it really only makes sense for one organization to be an acquirer, you don't want to be a struggling organization where there's only one possible home for you because you're probably not going to get a very good price. Right. No, that's exactly it. I've heard, again, not confirmed. I have – there for sure was another bidder.
1: for That's for sure. And I, th- I think the – the strong suspicion is that it was Salesforce mm-hmm. for all the reasons you just described, right? I mean, like, it's, it, this is a, this is a tough blow and Microsoft can afford $26 billion in a way that Salesforce can't. I mean, sometimes it's nice to be the big guy, right? Mm. A lot of people have talked about Twitter and all Twitter's in play, et cetera. Uh, LinkedIn is a far, 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 far oh, more yeah. attractive target than Twitter. Totally. Uh, oh, I agree. I mean, in part just because LinkedIn has names attached to it, like, the LinkedIn's value is in the identity of the data not Mm. not whereas twitter's value is in the the activity and so it's much hard like twitter one it's not necessarily associated with real people you could probably back it into real people you know especially a company like google or or facebook good uh but it it's harder to realize the value from twitter even though it's theoretically very valuable like what i'm interested in like there's there needs to be a lot of serious like work done with the Twitter data to actually extract value from it. Whereas LinkedIn's data is not only tied to identity, but it's very structured and it's, it's, it's very presentable and it's bigger. Like it's, it's, there's more people on LinkedIn than are on Twitter and it, and the LinkedIn data keeps its
0: value in a way that the Twitter data do- Does doesn't. Not. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's like this, these, trees with endless amounts of low-hanging fruit which is LinkedIn, whereas twitter is like yeah there's interesting stuff there but you have to climb a hell of a, a long way up and like work pretty hard to get at it right, right.
1: and then you also have to own twitter
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes,
1: which I mean, because like Twitter, in Twitter's value comes from using Twitter, which means it matters how many people are using Twitter, and you have to put up with all the troubles of of the usage on Twitter. Whereas LinkedIn, even someone who doesn't use LinkedIn, like I rarely go on LinkedIn, but the value of my data on LinkedIn is still
0: very high because it has like an incredible amount of information about me and, and my background, um, and, and and who you know professionally as well, and all kinds of different things. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's it's yeah. It, LinkedIn is much more valuable than Twitter. Yeah. Like,
0: Let's not get started on yeah. Twitter. I'm, it's <laughs> even bringing. It, I'm like, fix it, goddamn it, and then no, I, we can't talk about that again.
1: Hey, don't worry. Twitter invested seventy million in SoundCloud, so everything's going to be okay now. Everything's good with the product, so they they they're free to just spend money elsewhere. Ben,
0: <laughs> moving right along.
1: Yeah, so it was a kind of interesting subtext of this deal, which 100% was not on
0: purpose, I, I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure. But when was the last time an Apple keynote was upstaged? I think I think the last time that you could genuinely say that an Apple keynote was upstaged was back in, what, 1998 when Bill Gates got <laughs> fed in by... Yeah, yeah 97. <laughs> when, when Microsoft
1: got, quite literally upstaged Apple by putting a big f***ing uh, picture of Bill Gates. Yeah, that's right. And
0: bought a whole bunch of their stock and promised to ship office. And, and there was booing and cheering. And, and, and given all the holy warriors, the only ones that were left in the Apple audience at the time, nobody quite knew what to make of it.
1: Yeah. It, 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 fascinating presentation. I think I, mm. I
0: wrote about that a few weeks ago. I, was it was in the Daily Update or on a weekly article.
1: Um, I, I it, don't know.
0: I I recently Oh, yeah, it was, it was in the,
1: the Apple organizational or it was in the the Culture Curse article. So, uh, if you're not familiar with that speech, you go there. There's a link to a video in there. Uh it's 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 something else. It really it is. It totally
0: is. I mean, that that was um that was Steve Jobs saving Apple right there.
1: It was it, and, and it was one of the most brilliant displays of 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 leadership ever because like sometimes yeah leadership isn't like riding a a wave and like going going up ahead right it's it's doing it's doing like really hard stuff like fundamentally fundamentally changing i mean this is this is how powerful culture is apple was on the verge of going out of business and it's it's biggest fans and its employees were outraged that they were going to be saved (laughs) because because the the, of the entity saving them like this this mindset of which came from jobs himself you know like i posted in that article that famous picture of job flipping off the ibm sign right and we're all pirates right (laughs) better be a pirate than to be in the navy like that was that was the culture and it took jobs like of Humiliating himself, which he always regretted, but it was so, it was a fact like it, it mattered to
0: change the course of of Apple and the technology industry i don't think anybody else could have done it, and I don't think even he could have done it. Were it not for the fact that they were almost dead, and they 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 have this saying that once you have a um, well, the research is like once you have a very strong culture, that the only way to change it is effectively for it to hit crisis, and so it took the founder of the company that kind of started this this tension between the two the two entities. Um, to get up and do it in a moment of like the company is almost doomed, and even then, right? It it like you it said, was only, it was only just, yeah, yeah, just,
1: yeah, it, like yeah, it, it it was an act of destruction that was needed. It was destroying mm-hmm. like what remained of Apple. Like that was the final blow. Everything that uh, Apple had been sustained by its best fans, who kept buying these overpriced, underpowered computers. Through you know through through the nineties, mm-hmm. and Jobs was saying and, and they and they you know there was such a you can tell me because you were one of these people I mm-hmm. I was then I'm just, just describing it it was such a point of pride to not be Microsoft to be right. different than Microsoft and Jobs to come in and say uh,
0: guess what they won which he he he, he effectively said. He's yeah, like, it's over. They won. Yeah, for, for well, it was um, for Apple to win. We, we need to get over this idea that for a- Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose, and vice versa. I think that was the language that he used. It was, um, I mean, it was um, nuts. But the, the the thing that I also thought was powerful in doing that was it freed their focus from it being a fight on the desktop to realizing. Uh, to freeing them up to start to think about other areas up and down the stack um, whether it was um, whether it was the iPod or then subsequently the iPhone and it, it proved that his his thinking on it was absolutely right they were never going to like the desktop wars are over Microsoft Microsoft won them, and it wasn't until he got up there and he was willing to acknowledge that that they could let go of that and move on to whatever that next thing might have been. Yep,
1: absolutely. Absolutely, that's an int- it's an interesting way, it, an accidental segue in a way to to this WWDC, which I thought was uh, was I thought was good. Uh, I thought the keynote was good. I thought all the announcements were good. It was good in a very Apple sort of—we're iterating on our products and making all kinds of improvements all over the place—sort mm. of way. That was—you know—it was much better than last year with with kind of the Apple Music disaster, which for the I wrote off day one. Like the, this, you know, it was it was obvious right off the bat, but it was. it it, it was doubling down and in this and I I, I don't know if I quite made this point because I I put both Microsoft and Apple together in in my article this week Mm. and knowing that both were doubling down Microsoft was doubling down on this cloud-centric Office 365 and Azure strategy Mm. Apple was doubling down on the live in the Apple ecosystem and buy multiple products from us and your life will be wonderful and easy strategy but what's what's the difference between the two is where they are in the life cycle of that strategy Mm -hmm. and that Microsoft is just getting started and almost a value in this was the signal it sent to the company that windows is really, truly dead. Like it's over. Like if you, if you're not aware, like it's really over and and the signal that Apple sent was screw the haters. We're going for it. It, Right. Exactly. And, And in a strategy that is, that is, many years into it. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong per se. It's just an interesting contrast where both are doubling down, but the doubling down, the timing of the doubling down couldn't be more different.
0: You know, here's a, like speaking as someone, so when I was in Australia, I would get up in the middle of the night to watch these keynotes when I was one of these rabid fans. I don't. I think this is the first time that um, that, and, and I couldn't have even imagined this. Where the news out of Microsoft, I think, from a business perspective, was more exciting than what came out of Apple's keynote. Now, yeah, like the fact that they are incrementally improving all these things is good, and that's what they do. Is that's what they do best. But it feels like uh, I'm going to characterize this as. Uh, uh, it feels like this is the this is the the. Uh, the, the this is the uh, uh the birth of a new Microsoft almost as almost equivalent to that what jobs did back at uh, back with Bill Gates back in 97 and I don't know I, I I feel like what's happening with Apple is like they are stretching uh they are they are continuing to push and doing what they're doing but I'm not entirely sure they're acknowledging what's going on at the moment
1: well I, I don't I think I don't know I, I I'm so I, I'm i'm conflicted ab- about this because mm. at the end of the day apple is is good at what apple does i think like the the big rumor coming out of this was that there's going to be iMessage for android mm. which and i wrote this before the event like the reason why and i rarely i rarely write about rumors particularly ones that are very poorly sourced like this one was but i thought this one was so interesting because i and i said this is what this is what i'm going to be watching for in this mm-hmm. because that will be the – if Apple is serious about, about services mm-hmm. and becoming uh, – opening up new kinds of revenue streams, that's a pretty obvious place to to start. Uh, and and if they do that, that's that's a huge signal. Now, if they don't do it, that doesn't mean they're not necessarily serious about services, but they're not serious about cross-device services, right? I still think they need to be serious about stuff like Apple Pay and and all the sorts of things we've talked about, you know, the, like – the the online to offline sort of services but they announced a huge messages update that that try to bring up to par with some of the competing products and there's going to be an app store for messages and there's all these effects and and great stuff great stuff all around i think i I, perfectly fine update necessary update Mm. but it's still on apple devices only which means you know people there's a common complaint that oh WhatsApp's worth 18 billion. How much is messages worth to Apple? Messages is a is accounted for in the Apple stock price. It's accounted for in whatever part of the Apple stock price is the iPhone, because messages is a as Messages is currently formulated, it is a part of the iPhone. It is a reason to buy the iPhone. It is a reason to continue to buy iPhones. And it goes into that part of the stock price. Like, there's, It's not like the stock market is being unfair to Apple by not valuing it. They are being fair to it. And if Apple were to take Messages cross-platform, the appropriate response would be to devalue the iPhone business to some degree because you would be upsetting that.
0: Do you know what's interesting about this? You're right, and yet um, this is this is such an interesting uh, this is such an interesting strategic question for me because I feel like you I don't know what the right answer is here, and it's deeply unsatisfying because while everything you said is absolutely right, at the same time inexorably we're moving up the stack, and right now. Uh, the mobile OS and the mobile like cell smartphones are starting to feel like what was happening to Microsoft with windows and Intel PCs. uh, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, like growth is starting to stall. People are starting to care less about updates to hardware because they're starting to feel like they're pretty well served and the the action is happening in the tech market in the messaging space. Now, I, I like it's it's you're you're absolutely right. Apple makes their money on hardware, and their services support the hardware, and that's one of the wonderful things about it. But at the same time, it's it's a really challenging question to see this like the the fight on the stack move further up market. And they have got they have got a um, they've got themselves a, a a fantastic service that people love to use in iMessage or in messages and. Uh, like, I, and I'm thinking back to bringing iTunes to Windows, and yeah, of course they did it because they could monetize on hardware with the iPod, and there's no direct uh, 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 colliery here with um, with messages on Android. But I just like that fight is moving up the stack, and Apple has, as it gets further and further out of hardware, Apple's going to have fewer and fewer ways to stay relevant, and I'm just inclined to say, take it cross-platform, guys.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. I'm very conflicted on it too. I mean, I think what what it what it does do, and the reason why what this keynote provide clarity about was, I mean, back in that earnings call in January when they they had a special presentation about services and they like they had all mm-hmm. these prepared remarks about it, I wrote in the daily update the day after, like, come on, guys, like, and then all the Apple are like, oh, Apple's a service company. I'm like, no, they're not a services company. They will not be a services company until they actually like the services are 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 move away from being a part of the hardware to being mm-hmm. you know something independent which is exactly this and this key this keynote and this lack of announcement it confirmed that that on this particular point I, I had it correct. Like Apple has a nice services revenue stream. They are not a services company. And I guess this is why I've been writing all these articles recently about like the Apple's organizational crossroads. And like, th- what was the point of that article? Is like, if Apple is serious about services, they have to change some things around. Well, maybe they're not serious about services. Maybe they're, you know, they'll take what they can get. You know, mm-hmm. I actually still think they need that because I think there are devices. They need what? Sorry. To, to change their organization to, uh, to have a separate services organization that has mm-hmm. different, that operates differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, the, the, this is clarifying about 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 that question and the other thing about the thing about culture and like the curse of culture and ah, but at the same time i just don't have very much the, the uh, culture is so strong it's not just that a culture is so strong that it prevents you from changing it like makes you bad at other stuff do we really want apple to change its fundamental nature as a company when that fundamental company produces some pretty awesome stuff that that we we all get to use and
0: enjoy, yeah, I mean, I I agree. Um, Maybe I'm being in, selfish as a as a customer. I'm I, and I, I I totally get that. Um, I, at the same time, like we've long held this perspective that hardware is going to become less and less important, and uh, it's going to be this shift to services and cloud-based stuff that's going to be. Um, the the smarts are going to be up in the cloud. And um I I think that as <sighs> I I feel like we're starting to reach that point where the, the hardware software integration that has played into what's made them so great for so long is starting to become less and less important. And this is an opportunity for them to start to test this shift into the future. Now they they can bring Apple music to Android and they can monetize it. They're bringing this app store to messages. There's uh. The nature of messaging is it—it it like runs alongside Metcalfe's law. Like it's—it's it's as valuable as the number of participants on the network. It feels like a good opportunity to, um, to bring this to a broader number of people. Um, i don't know as i'm talking really is this
1: really is the one time like the one messaging market that is really up for grabs is the u.s and Mm. to a slight lesser degree europe but but particularly the u.s i mean like uh, asia they're all sewn up by geographic areas like Mm -hmm. whether it be line or whether it be wechat whether it be whatsapp and that's a challenge because the the network effects of messaging are are you know such as they are and snapchat i think is something slightly different we shouldn't mention at the end because they actually had the biggest news of the week uh but the the US market is is open. Apple arguably has a leading position and that's not and Facebook is trying to sew it up and, and obviously, you know, Snapchat they're offering, but uh it, it but there is a unique opportunity now to to kind and, of
0: lock and, that but, up. But 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 to be explicit, the window will close. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's it, it might not be now or ever but if they're thinking about doing it they should um they should take they shouldn't take their sweet time. Um so so if,
1: but there's a really interesting point about the some of the, the the culture things. Uh I went to the um John Gruber had a live talk show where he had uh Craig Federighi and Phil Schiller there and oh. they were talking about about Siri. So Siri finally opened up uh has an API, but it's it's a limited API. It can only do it can only do uh six things, Well, seven things if you include radio controls and CarPlay. Uh it supports ride booking, messaging, photo search, payments, uh voice over IP calling and workouts. And so if you have an app that fits in one of those categories, you can now leverage Siri and Basically, what Apple is promising is that Siri is going to do all the hard work for you, and so Siri will decide. You, the end user, can use uh, native speech to request something like, you know, send James a message, and it knows that I always use uh, Line to send James messages, for example, and it will u- it will use the right application. It will parse out the intent and the verb and and all that sort of stuff, and it'll figure it all out, and it will pass on the data in a very structured way, so that the applications will always react predictably to it. Mm. And this is this is very different to be clear than the Alexa method, where Alexa uh, interprets the string and passes the string on, and and so you have that's why you have to have finer syntax generally. Like you have to like Alexa uh, play, you know Taylor Swift on Spotify, which which is an unfortunate example because she's not on Spotify, but I had to incorporate Taylor Swift <laughs> uh, that was those first thing <laughs> of mine. <laughs> oh geez, this is off the rails here. Anyhow. You so Gruber was asking them about 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 Siri and, and these limited number of things. And and Schiller, I mean, he kind of was he was dissing Alexa. Like it was, it was pretty clear in, in his tone. And he's like, you know, he's like, this is this is an insight into about how we approach things differently than some other companies do. Mm. And, and he's like, Oh, if we do it, we want to make sure we're very thoughtful about it and we have a better way to do it, or or or, or et cetera. And 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 he said and he talked about like, extending it and, and and how it's going to take time, but they, they have a process to do it. And he said, and this is a quote, as it gets extended, speaking of Siri, that intelligence needs to extend. So the team has been working hard at that while others shoved in quickly to do things that don't translate that intelligence to third-party apps. It it was it was such an illuminating quote for lots of reasons. I mean, first off, this it was classic Apple, right? We're not gonna rush in and just do a job because the press is demanding we do it or to do it. We're gonna step back and we're gonna think about it and we're gonna do it the right way. Right? And it was mm. and it was uh the the, the, the problem <laughs> is that at what point does weaving aside whether or not Siri does this well, mm. At what point does doing it the right way to a way in which you have six things you can do after six years result in a worse user experience than something that can do 1,200 things – that's the number of new skills Alexa has acquired – that it could do 1,200 things after one and a half years, and many of those 1,200 things are probably poor and and relatively worthless and hard to use. But you're relying on the human capability yeah. to learn, and that like Alexa's counting on that. And at what point does just the sheer breadth and capability overwhelm the carefully considered sort of approach? Again, leaving aside the fact that Alexa's core technology is just better than Siri as far as like voice recognition and and, and latency
0: you've nailed it right like I I, I, um I, I don't even know on what basis they've decided what those six things are I think in the way that I use Alexa for example it would um there are only a limited subset of what he's just described which is the way that I use my my um I'm trying not to say echo cuz i'm going to wake it up but too bad <laughs> um but but it's i i think you're spot on it's um just getting these things out there and i would like even if even if the test was whether it hears me right or whether I have to say things in a certain way, like if you put those two things on a spectrum, I would rather it be able to hear me right, like like actually turn what I say into the right words, but I have to use a certain type of language in order for it to understand me, than the technology, the underlying technology being like... The, the the phone sometimes hears what I say, but oftentimes it thinks I've said something entirely different. Like if I can use natural language in that circumstance, it's it's undermined by the fact that uh, oftentimes the natural language that I use is completely misinterpreted. And that is before you even get to the point of all the different capabilities of what it can use. So I, I'm with you. I think that um, that approach is a... Um, what what the the way that Schiller just described it is a is a, an approach that I think is great when it comes to the 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 past like the hardware and the the operating system and limiting different options but when it comes to when it comes to this kind of stuff voice activated elements and and engaging with different parts of the internet and there are infinite different infinite different parts of the internet and everybody finds different ones valuable like having the functionality and being able to engage with it, even on a primitive level, and then developers shipping it and seeing it explode and knowing this is where they need to focus, I think that's a much better approach in this instance. Yeah, and
1: you can almost go all the way back to Microsoft versus Apple way back when, when, when Microsoft won. The Apple yeah.
0: experience was
1: better, but it was better only if you looked at it narrowly, right? right. The user experience of moving a mouse around and moving around Windows and, and the spatial dimensions of, of like the, the the desktop metaphor and all that sort of stuff was better on the Mac. It was better from day one. It, it continued to be better. And it's the reason why the Mac survived, even though, it again, it was more expensive and, and less powerful and had f- fewer things you could do on it. But – Whenever you're considering the user experience or the design of a product, you have to consider it from multiple dimensions and multiple levels. And the fact of the matter is, if you wanted to get stuff done on a computer, a Microsoft Windows computer was a better product just because of the ecosystem. There was more you could do with it. There was more things you could do. There was more places you could plug into. There was more places you could be leveraged and put out. And... and it's an area where, if you get wrapped in on the narrow definition of the user experience, you will miss the fact that the broader contextual area—it's not even a contest—and that's the concern here. Because the you just said it: the number of things, the number of amount of information on the on the on the internet is is unlimited. The number of things people might want to say or do or speak or communicate is is huge. And how do you? get out there. You do it by standardizing, by being modular, by by having a, a, an understood way to plug in. And does that make a worse user experience? Would it be better if you could just say anything and computers and magically understand you and do it? Of course it would be. But be,
0: from getting from here to there. The path you take is really important. You know what's crazy? Just as you said that, you'd think they would have learned the lesson with the App Store and the iPhone. Like, one of the things that's been the most compelling value proposition for the iPhone is just the depth of applications um, that, that are available. Like there are more apps and, and a richer app store on the iPhone than there is on Android. Um and when you start to think of of Siri and all these voice like Alexa, like their platforms, and you the the platform that has the most apps is going to is is like probably going to have a pretty big edge. It's just a shame they're not taking the same approach well, and this is the this is where culture comes in. It, mm. it, and what was so striking about Schiller's
1: statement and and maybe you had to see him say it to to really pick up on it and like the tone and his his posture while saying it. But I think he opened by saying, I think this is an insight into how we, and it's not right or wrong, how we approach things differently. There's no question that Schiller thinks it's right. you know. Like, and It's it's not like Apple weighed the two approaches and decided on the approach they took. It's that Apple is incapable of doing it any other way, for better or for worse, right? That's how they do hardware, and for hardware where it's a, it's an endpoint, and and you're working towards something the the thoughtful approach and where the differentiation in the experience is contained mm. it is the mm. it is absolutely the best way to do it and the like sorry like I I, I love lots of things about Android but I I mean I I go back and forth like the the iPhone is still it's meaningfully better and I suspect that that that's going to stay for 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 a very long time yeah. But you don't uh, you don't turn that off. You don't turn like what makes you yeah. so great at something. You you can't flip a switch on that because it's it's all subconscious and it's under the surface. And and even if Schiller, who's a very smart guy, could could intellectually articulate the opposite case, which which one, it may not even. Who's asking him to articulate it? For one, mm-hmm. and and for two. What are the chances he's ever going to actually? Oh yeah,
0: that's the right thing to do. We should do that. I mean, not that he's the one making the decisions, but you, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. So um, this, uh, uh, I'm I'm keeping an eye on time, and there is one other thing that I wanted to get to about WWDC, and it's it's kind of on the subject of this thoughtfulness before shipping, and the it's it's been something that we've talked about a lot, which is the watch and. Um, we've talked about it a lot of way back and then more recently. Um, and then, uh, the, the, the like, you, you I, just I, want to bring it up because I had to, I had to admit you were right. And you no, just wanted, no, 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 I, 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 I'm I just, actually, am just
1: kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep,
0: keep uh, yeah, I, I wanted to bring up the. I I was, I was kind of proud of this when I, when I found pictures that kind of drew the parallel between windows on the desktop and the windows phone, and then the iPhone and the Apple watch. Now, (laughs) yeah, I, I I enjoyed that when, when I managed to do that, but uh, the, the, I wanted to get your take on the watch. Like, um, I think I, I've read, a, I haven't, I didn't study the keynote and I, I've seen a little bit of the commentary and people are a little bit more positive about uh, watchOS 3. I wanted to get your take on it because I'm still a little skeptical.
1: Well, so there's there's two aspects of this. So one is mm. the user interface has been completely redesigned. And mm. in a way that makes a, a ton more sense, The that honeycomb of apps that, that we both criticized from day one is mm. is it's still there but it's buried and the expectation you actually access it is very low cuz there's mm. faster ways to get to apps like a dock uh, the in, in interesting if you go to the Apple Watch website you can't even find a picture of that which mm. if you remember all the marketing around the Watch originally was around that that honeycomb thing right yeah. and they had the the right. post displays in stores and all that sort of stuff mm. so that's gone they've the side button which was like you know the digital touch stuff which was mm-hmm. one of the three tent poles the three temples mm-hmm. were a very accurate timepiece, uh health and fitness and a new way to connect uh that's gone it's
0: it's that was the thing that called up your friend right
1: wouldn't no, that's where you could like draw things and it uh, would show up on your watch and you could send yep. your heartbeat <laughs> that's that's it's it's in mess the messages app so it's still there technically but it's effectively gone that button mm-hmm. now brings up a, a dock of apps that you can watch so that's part one. The UI is completely rethought. It's much more logical. Almost everything is one tap or swipe away. So mm. uh, I, that is a, I think, a good change. It's good on Apple that they've, you know, gave up on core things that were there that didn't work. Mm. And so kudos to them. I mean, I will always applaud, you know, saying when something's wrong, and yeah. and, and admitting to it. Uh, so yeah, the the question is why why wasn't this in? Why wasn't this the V one? the V1 user interface is a very fair question to ask. Right. Um, you
0: said there were two parts to it. So you said... Yeah, so two right.
1: parts. Two parts is the the big focus they had is uh, app launching. And, you know, obviously using apps on the watch, someone who's tried it, it is very a very painful experience, even with the way updates. It has to update the information and you get off on the phone. And what they've done is all apps that are linked to on your screen via complication which are now much more uh useful and all acts that are, apps that are in this dock that's that's accessed by the side button those mm. apps are kept in memory uh, mm. which means and they're updated very regularly even if you're not not viewing them which means when you click them you will launch right into it and they'll be fre- the information will be fresh and mm. the cost the, – the the reason to do th- – the reason why they didn't do this before was they were very, very worried about memory life – or about battery life, sorry. Would they watch the – like, that was the big concern when they watched. Mm. And it turned out – and I think if you've worn the watch, you know this is true – battery life is not really a concern for the watch at all. Like, it rarely, if ever, runs out. And I think the one exception is, like, 38 millimeter if they work out a lot. But, like, uh. it, um, I never, ever had battery life. One, because I have the forty two 2 millimeter, and two, because I'm fat and don't work out. But – they had battery life to spend and so they spent it on
0: making apps actually responsive. Mm, interesting. Um that is interesting. So take taking these things, uh so I I've I mean, I criticized the UI. And I, I, I think when I peel back why I criticized the UI, I think I criticized it on its face because it was bad UI. And I think bad UI is uh is um just in itself inexcusable for a company that's known for the quality of its experiences but i think the other reason why i criticized the ui was because they lifted a whole bunch of the thinking from the previous paradigm and parachuted parachuted it into the new one and the fact that they've fixed the ui and made it easier to access a whole bunch of these different apps or whatever i think that's great and if I mean, I haven't used it. I, I had a quick look, and it's everyone who's talked about it says it sounds a lot better, and I'm, I'm willing to believe it. My core concern and my reason for continued cynicism is, though, you've, you've fixed the appearance of everything. Have you fixed the underlying issue and, and the reason for being? And I, I think the watch... The, the, the phone introduced apps at the point where it was clear what the reason for being already was, but I am still confused and I wonder whether they are as well around that app. Very clear, articulate why for the watch. And the apps are a great way of kind of distracting from it. But I still don't know. I still don't feel what that is. But I'm, I, I guess I'm curious. Having well, come through the keynote, has, has your perspective on that changed?
1: Well, no, I, 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 I would actually double down to, on what you just said in that that latter update about the responsive apps actually mm. bothers me. And it concerns me as a as someone who's worn the Apple Watch regularly. Mm. And the reason is this is they had battery budget to spare and mm-hmm. they chose to spend it on making apps better. When I would have preferred they spend it on making the watch a better watch. Mm. The advantage of a of the watch right now, the biggest advantage in my mind is like the notifications where you can Know whether it's worth the effort of like pulling the phone out of your pocket and so on mm-hmm. and so forth, the, and so it reduces it reduces amount of friction in your life. Is it is it's a small amount of friction for sure, but that stuff adds up, right? The problem is w- to use the watch as a watch sucks. This. All, like you you oh, moving your wrist having to get it turned on like it, it's it's annoying and actually uh i've gone back to wearing a regular watch uh about a month ago and and it's so refreshing to just see the time <laughs> right and it they if they had extra battery i would have liked to them to have spent that battery on showing the time and and it to your point I have, I don't, apps, like, a phone's good for apps, right? Like, what is a watch, it's really good for showing me information at a glance and, like, notifying me if something's happening. And none of that depends on having responsive apps. And they didn't improve that. It,
0: it, It feels like they are... They are still trying to hide behind a clear agreement on the reason for being for this device, and they're trying to do it by relying on third-party developers to kind of help them out. And do you know what's funny? Like the the nature of our conversation tonight, comparing this to Siri, it feels like with Siri they've kept it integrated for too long. They haven't modularized it. Um, they haven't modularized it now, and it should be modularized. It should be letting every developer go hog wild with it. And it feels like on the watch, they've done the opposite thing where they modularized it too soon. They should have integrated it, focused on nailing the experience and getting it just right for like the what the messages, notifications, and perhaps health, like what you said, kept developers out until they absolutely nailed it and seen how people used it out in the market. And just like they did with the phone, only when people were clamoring for it, did they allow it. Like it feels like they've integrate they've modularized it too soon. Yeah, well,
1: well, all all, your, all the uh, Apple fans, James, are not going to accuse you of of Apple. I guess Apple can't do anything right, huh? But there actually is a consistency to what you just said, and that is that the Watch is a hardware product, and where it benefits from the integration. Of 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 hardware and software, and are very you know, and, and so you should mm. start with more integrated and and become more modular over time. Mm-hmm. Siri is a service, and and mm-hmm. services are benefit from being mo- like modularized Mod- from the from the beginning because you have right. the iterative development and all all the sorts of stuff that we've talked that's, about.
0: That's a helpful articulation. I I was partway there, but you nailed. it.
1: Yeah, well, I just because you're like, well, Apple did it one way here, the other way here, and they're both on both sides, but there actually is a, a rhyme and a reason to it, and. And yeah, it it is in 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 some respects that makes the watch almost more distressing than Siri because mm. you could almost expect Apple to struggle to fuck up the services. Well, not to fuck up, but just to, just yeah, to struggle. You know it's n- I mean. it's not what they're yeah. good at. Yeah. But it's it's disappointing. It's it's almost more concerning with the watch because that should be what they're good at, right? That should, mm. be, that should be the thing. And yeah, I, I I I I remain a I remain an optimist about about. I think the Apple Watch generally, but the, the smartwatch I, I, I idea in general. Again, as we've talked about, like, this idea of being... I talk about identity a lot. Identity is so huge, right? That's why Facebook's so valuable. It's why, it's why this Microsoft thing so exciting. This idea of, like, Apple owning this piece of identity that interacts with the world around you is is such a powerful concept and there is such there is value in the phone like or in the watch the the, the order notif- just the taptic engine itself and being the one thing I really miss is temperature like it
0: sounds stupid but it was it was great to be able to look at look at my look at my wrist and get that Alexis replaced that for me funnily enough I just like if I'm going up to San Francisco I ask it what the temperature is up there or if I'm staying down here I want to know what the temperature is today and it's just and it's in my room when I'm getting changed or packed in my bag and it's so convenient and it's so accurate and it gets it right every time. Yeah,
1: no, it's it, it, it's, it's it's a great
0: point. Yeah, I, I
1: I'm no, I'm enjoying. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I think this has been good. Well, I think people are are like the, the, I, I go back to I go back to the point I made in contrasting the Microsoft and, and, and Apple. In that, have we been criticizing Apple out recently? Yes, we have, but it's a criticism that's not born. And I think we've both proven our spurs on the, we're not in the Apple is doomed at every sign of struggle sort Mm -hmm. of camp. It's, this is the natural evolution of, of companies Mm. is there, there's a, the time of like the most upside in value is when the actual like up the actual like realized value is very very low right mm. i mean just think about for buy stock you would have wanted to buy apple stock in, in in 1998 or 97 or whatever and then you would have realized it later but but the the things that go into realizing that that are all seated beforehand right i mean like the biggest news on monday for example the biggest news on monday even bigger than this was snap was snapchat opening up their advertising api and Mm -hmm. now like you can buy advertising at scale and insert it into stories and things like that like it's a huge deal snapchat's going to be is on its way to being a monster and it's interesting to think about snapchat right now because right now they are creating all the tools that in a few years are going to result in like in four or five years there's gonna like and this is kind of what an- goes into analysis, right? In, in three or four years, uh, everyone can write a news story about how amazing Snapchat's doing, their great financial yeah, results, like they're right. doing about Facebook right now, right? The trick yep. for Facebook was to, several years ago, mm-hmm. point out the conditions are being created to real, they're creating so much value right now that is going to be realized in a few years and that's what's happening with Snapchat right and where you see with Apple here is they've created the conditions for value they've realized a ton of the value and just that that comes to an end and you have to figure out what is next and that's that's just the way the world works it's not a criticism or or of of anyone or anything it's just the way the world works and it's fascinating to see how they handle it particularly because they were so successful because being successful makes it so hard to change the curse of success the curse of success the curse of culture yeah i think it's a good place to wrap up sounds good i think we went along but sorry about that but uh but yeah it's it good talking to you it's been a fascinating week yeah it really has yeah and 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 just to be super queer, like i don't know i feel like we spend a lot of time talking about like trying to understand what's going to happen, right? Like Microsoft, for example, Microsoft still faces the existential threat of what new company is going to buy Microsoft software. Like, that's still a problem. I'm not sure LinkedIn,
0: for all the benefits, fixes that. It it helps. But But that's a path. Like, you see a path. Whereas, I I mean, I think that... Yeah, that's the thing with Apple. Yeah, yeah, there's just like, they're not... the the realizing the 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 realizing what they've done in the past versus constructing that same thing to be created in the future i think my frustration with them right now is i don't feel like they're doing the hard work to construct that future that they're they're almost taking shortcuts by trying to drop the previous paradigm into what what is their most promising new product and it's it's sputtering as a result of that and i think that's been our frustration with the watch since day one
1: well it's not just that it's it the microsoft deal is exciting because you can see a path to it creating Mm. tremendous value right and it was a really good keynote It, it 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 really was but it was a good keynote in the details and not in the vision Yes, it's it's
0: it's incremental. It's it's not the but but you 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 almost feel bad saying that because that's what Apple does so well is the incremental sort of improvements, right? But it's always been incremental on a vision where everybody's like, okay, I I see where you're going. Like you're you've got this incredible vision for the phone, and you come in and everybody's your leap years in front of everybody else, and then incrementally improving that is great. But they haven't got that right with the watch, and incrementalism isn't going to be enough, right? There remains this
1: this question, like when we move as phone purchases slow down, as they become good enough, or worse, as we move beyond the phone, like where does Apple fit in that world? And and that's that's interesting, like it, it, because it's it's cloudy, hmm? no pun intended. I, we have to stop there. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. See you, mate.